start again Just my children and my wife Thank my lucky stars to be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. There's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say That I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget The men who died, who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA And I'm proud to be an American Grace. It's good to see you today. Um, I picked out that video and when I was looking through all the different choices, that uh, bit, that picture of the boy holding the flag, the little boy, Ooh, man. Um, you know, as you, as you listen to that song, um, we know who to be thankful for, too. We're thankful to the Lord that we live in this nation. We're a free nation. And um, I do believe we're watching some of the freedoms being stripped from us. And I was uh, talking with my dad this last week, and he served in Vietnam. And I'm proud to say that. And uh, he told me a little bit about uh, the battle that he was in. And he was over there for six months. And then I remember um, my grandfathers, both of them served in World War II. And um, some incredible stories. Um, 
We just should be grateful people. Uh, we have a lot to be thankful for living in the United States of America. Um, I wanted to recognize uh, for a moment those men and women in here that may be veterans that have served. Uh, we would love to recognize you this morning. So I'm going to ask you that you would stand at this time. There's no way we can thank you enough. We really appreciate uh, your service to our country, and uh, we thank you so much. Um, I wanted also this morning um, just to recognize a ministry that you and I have an opportunity to be involved in. Uh, all of us uh, are aware of the fact we support Bob and Judy Ambrosius, and they've been translating the scriptures for years and have the Bible completed, and, and uh, I know Bob wants us to be involved in that through uh, giving and through prayer as the Lord would lead us and we have a great opportunity to do that and so this morning we want to watch a video that I think Bob has put together uh, for us to watch it's about three minutes long and it'll tell us a little bit more about what's going on with them and uh, how we can support them and then uh, Barry Hearn's going to come up and uh, talk a little bit more about that. Jesus. 
See those two videos, one of them that we have everything to be thankful for in this country, and just seeing the quality of life we have and compare it to the Philippines. I don't know if y'all put that together. It said Bob started in 1967. 51 years. Unbelievable to translate the Word of God. We can go down to Lifeway. We have our choice of Bibles, probably 15 different versions of the Bible. And these people have never had a single one. You know, it's really unbelievable. And the video is kind of typical of Bob, if you know him, it's kind of understated. He needs $50,000, people. I don't have that kind of money. I don't think there's anybody in here that has that kind of money. But if you start playing with the math, if 50 of us give 50 bucks, it's $2,500. It doesn't take a whole lot for me to give $50. I go out to eat at a nice restaurant, that's $50. You put that number, make it $500, that's $25,000 becomes a little bit more reachable, doesn't it? What we'd like y'all to do on what we talked about in the mission committee, Bob's trying to raise this money by the end of the year. He has a GoFundMe account. If you take your envelope, there's a little special thing down here. It's got designated. If you put Philippines on, we'll know that's what you want to give that money to. But it's between now and the end of the year that he's trying to raise it. I think we looked up on the mission committee the other night that he's got about $6,000 right now. So he's still got a long way to go. And if you know Bob, he says, God will provide. God will provide. So the mission committee wanted, to, wanted to give you all this opportunity to participate with us. The mission committee doesn't have this kind of money either. We just need all of you all to get it, to go in the bottom of your heart, Look what you can do. Give what you can. I think of Christ when he talks about that widow. And she come, came up and just gave one little tiny sum. But in her way, that was everything she could give. That's what we need to do. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you today. Lord, we have been blessed in this country. Many men have given their lives. Many men in this church have been part of that. Father, we truly don't know what it means to live as the people in the Philippines. Father, to wait this long 
to never have a copy of your word and what how easy we have it lord i just pray you touch our hearts allow us to give what we can we know it's all yours lord and we're just giving back just a small percentage father we do thank you for everything you do and just praise your name lord in jesus name amen amen let's all stand as we as we worship this morning i feel like i might need to reintroduce myself um my name is Joe Dumas, formerly known by some as Jesus. Um, but we are here this morning to worship the real Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the one who came from heaven down to this earth, lived a perfect life, was a perfect sacrifice for us. It's our Messiah, our Redeemer, Savior, King, and He's the Lord of Lords. So let's just render our, our hearts and our voices to him this morning and give him uh, the praise that he is so worthy of.
the mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary you the perfect holy one crushed your son drink the bitter cup reserved for me and your blood Wash away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus,
Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. You guys can have a seat. <clears throat> I want to sing a song for y'all. Um, just a continuation of the thought of everything that Christ has done for us. We are called his bride. And he is our groom. Came down to this earth and paid the penalty for our sins. So that we could stand before him as a pure and spotless bride. And yet for an eternity marks, the scars that were the price that he paid for our righteousness, he forever carries on him. And that is the thought that this, uh, that this song comes from. Spirit 
Thank the worship uh, team for that. Is this thing on? I'm going to pick it up. Thank the worship team for that. Eternal scars that should have been mine. Mm. Very piercing. Uh, I've been asked to introduce our speaker this morning. He's a good friend of mine. Um, and I was thinking about how to do that. And I was thinking back about the time we should have met. And uh, that was in 2012. Because uh, Melinda and I went to a youth with a mission conference in Kona, Hawaii. We went with Steve and Jenny Saint. Uh, to represent iTech. Um, I never thought I'd get Melinda to go to Hawaii because she hates flying like Thad. But I uh, got her on the plane, we went. And uh, Sarah, my daughter, went with us. She had been ministering with T Steve uh, Sane at iTech. And uh, so she went to film and to help Steve set up tables and things like that. And uh, at that conference, it was our first exposure to, uh, to the Youth with a Mission, YWAM. I'd heard about them and uh, come across them a little, but really never really had a full exposure to them until that, and we were very expressed, uh, impressed, I mean, and um, we left there with a the desire to be more involved with their ministry and to partner with them in some way. Wasn't sure how that would work out, but uh, at that conference, we were impressed because uh, fields from all over the world gave reports of uh, not what YWAM was doing, but the great and awesome things God was doing. And it was some tremendous things that the Lord was doing around the world through this ministry. And uh, so um, as we came back, uh, Mark, uh, uh, our speaker this morning, Michael and, uh, and Darla, were at that conference, I found out, just uh, yesterday, I think. And we didn't meet them there. There were so many people. There hundreds of people at that conference. But um, when we came back, we, we really wanted to be more more involved with, uh, with, uh, with YWAM. Well, Sarah went back to iTech, and, and I think it was a year or so later, uh, she decided to make a change and that she would, um, would possibly join YWAM. And so we went down and visited, 
and, uh, and checked out the campus, saw that they weren't in a cult there. Okay, you know, everything's cool. Everything's good there. So um, we uh, met uh, Michael and Darla shortly after that. And uh, we asked them a year or so later to come up and speak in our conference when we were at our old building. And they did that, got to know them even more. So we've become really good friends and partners in ministry through the years. Our church has gone down and, and helped the uh, campus there build and do things. And it's been a really good relationship we've enjoyed. He's here this past week for a conference up in uh, Chaco Springs with, uh, with about 450 uh, of the students. Uh, he's also now the, um, the kind of area director uh, or his responsibility east of Mississippi all up through Canada. So um, he may someday be uh, the full, the, the, the head of the whole mission. I don't know. He's, he's, uh, he's running out of time, though, getting older, you know, so I don't know. But he and Darla actually met at a DTS, one of their discipleship training uh, courses in 1979, and have been with YWAM ever since. Done a lot of different type of ministry. But what was it, 19, I'm trying to read your notes, 1995, was it that you went to Orlando? Yeah, so he may tell you more about that, but it's really amazing how God gave them a 183-acre campus, an old Lutheran camp, summer camp, right at just a few minutes from Disney World. And uh, it's an amazing place. And, and, and the way he gave them that land, I don't want you to go into that today, but it's an amazing story. When we, we met with Dr. Beavers the other day just to talk about missions and getting uh, his church involved in Youth with a Mission and some summer camps. And when we started that meeting, Michael was, I think, expecting to introduce himself and talk about him a little about the ministry and and dr beavers uh, at the church he said tell him about how you got the land just right out of the ship gate because it's, it's an amazing story but then even is as amazing as that is what god has done there at that base since then and the way that it's progressively developing and changing because all the buildings were so dilapidated and everything it's really really bad but it's really taken on a life of its own there and, and had a huge impact and uh, Sarah's been there since that time and, and serves with them. So we want to welcome Michael Berg and his wife, Darla, with us this morning and ask him to come up and share. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to, great to be with you. Uh, this is uh, my wife and kids there, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for being such a wonderful uh, church. I mean, men and women committed to the Lord and committed to his mission. You know, I know there's, that you support many missionaries around the, the planet. We heard of some this morning. But you also, there are many of you in ministry locally here, and, and I'm aware of that as well. So I just think, what a privilege to stand here and to, to be with you. And I just, I want to start by just mentioning what, what we're about. You know, there, there are, uh, it's probably a little less than this now, but 3.1 billion people unreached with the gospel. And uh, many of those don't know the name of Jesus, but that number is getting smaller each year because of what God is doing. I think of the Bible translation we heard about earlier and just how significant it is and how, how few languages there are now. There, there were thousands and thousands of languages that had no scripture, but now we're down to about a thousand that don't have you know, some form of scripture in their language. And we, we really, in this generation, could see the Great Commission accomplished, which would be amazing. But our challenge right now is so many young people, when they leave church, they come to a dynamic church like this. You know, songs that were written. I, I understood that one of you guys wrote this song. I'm not sure. Who, who wrote this song? I'm just curious. Probably Joe, Joe? Okay. But yes, wonderful. That was just a beautiful, beautiful song. The lyrics were so powerful. So here we're in this congregation that preaches the word, that, that writes music, that, that you know, partners with missions, and yet many people who are raised up in a church like this all over the country, when they get to university, they leave church. It's tragic. 
you know, one stat, this is one of the worst ones, there are some better ones than this, but one of the worst ones where 80% have walked away from church. Not, not necessarily walked away from the Lord, but walked away from church. And I'm thinking, we, we have a great task in front of us called the Great Commission, and yet our workforce is not in the place where we used to go recruit them. <laughs> we used to come to church to recruit, and, but, but many of them are out there and they, they know the Lord, but they're not, they're not in fellowship somewhere which is tragic. And so we're, we're really about uh, connecting with, with people to, uh, connecting with this generation, and we're using all sorts of means, social media, et cetera, to connect with this generation so that we can ignite them with a passion for the Lord and a passion for mission. Well, we, as we began to do that, thing, things grew, and we were looking for a bigger place, and we got this 184-and-a-half-acre campus, and, and I just want to take a pause for a moment here and say uh, thank you to you guys. As you see, we had buildings that looked like this. Not, no water, no power, no sewage. Uh, nothing worked. Buildings were, were gutted. And then you guys came down and turned these buildings into something like this. And so they're now full of people. We have 24 structures, 25 structures that are completed. We've just brought in uh, six, six more. You know, so we have things that look like, like this that are now shower buildings. Uh, we, I spoke here, I think it was 2016, in this building. And I talked about this depot. This, this was our cafeteria building and how we really needed to have a deck. I, I envisioned where there was, once was wood woods, a 24 or 30 foot deck out there and, and uh, spanning the whole uh, length of the building. And whenever I would tell the story as I was walking through the campus, I'd point that out. And when I shared that here one day, you guys decided, and different ones in here decided to donate and then and come and send a team and turn that, that, uh, that place into a deck. So there's probably some famous people here that you might recognize as you look at some of those pictures. There's one there too, yeah. So... And uh, that deck has been fully utilized. Uh, you know, we, we, it's been the place where we, we have our cafeteria meals. It's a place of fellowship. It's a place of meetings. And uh, just so grateful for all that was accomplished there. It's just a huge deck. And we needed it because we don't have room. We, we're out of space to feed people. And so this actually, you know, met the need. So we're working to renovate this big campus. And you guys have played a part. And I just want to say thank you. The, the buildings, though, are not the priority. The buildings are not the priority. The priority is what God wants to do in the hearts and lives of young men and women while they're there on that campus in the buildings that they might be transformed to take the transformational message of the gospel to the nations. And so I want to just show uh, just a short video here that just describes, you know, kind of in a broad way what the mission is, and then I'm going to move on from there, okay? So let's, let's take a look here. This is what the buildings that you are a part of is doing. We face the greatest task on the planet, the Great Commission, and yet our workforce is diminishing because there's such a huge percentage of young people who attend church in high school. When they go to university, they quit attending church. So they're not hearing the call to missions, the missions message. These millennials are looking for a family to belong to, and they're looking for a cause worth living for and dying for. My generation is ready to launch a movement for Jesus because we're tired of sitting around, but we're ready to go and see the unreached nations reached. The issue is we've got to get in front of them. The issue is we have to help them become a family and raise up leader and team within that family and take them into the nations. 
Time and time again, we have seen great success and great fruitfulness. And that's where we come into play. We're igniting, equipping, and launching a movement of passionate young people dedicated to the gospel, dedicated to a relationship with Jesus, and sharing that relationship with anyone and everyone who will listen. To ignite passion is enabling these young people to run after God. They're getting to know um, other peers that have the same heart. It happens as we go to local church, and we speak to a youth group or speak to a local congregation. It happens when we have conferences on our campus. It also happens in the context of our, our training schools where students end up being ignited with a passion for mission. Whoa, you're saying that I actually have a place in the mission field? Like I can actually change the world? Them really coming to an understanding that I really can make a difference. Equipping a generation is giving them the skills and the tools necessary to serve Jesus the rest of the days of their lives facilitating an atmosphere where the students begin to understand what it is they're good at and how they can go in and actually make a difference through their passion. We are doing that by our discipleship training schools, bringing them in for 12 weeks. We bring in teachers from all over the world and they get to hear from their experience and then take that knowledge that they get and go onto the field with it. Launching a movement, I envision a, a wave of young people carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. They are so captivated by their intimate love for Jesus that they can't wait to share it with others. These students that have spent the past 12 weeks in the classroom, we're launching them into this atmosphere of you can change the world, you can make a difference, let's go put love to the test. To launch a movement is to gather young people who've gotten to know who the Lord is, and have a passion for Him. We send them out, and as soon as they get there, they begin sharing their faith and their encounters with Jesus. We're committed to follow the same model that we see demonstrated in Acts through the Apostle Paul, where he constantly goes back to these locations, to the hardest and the darkest, where no one else is willing to go for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of sharing these radical encounters with Jesus. We have the space. We have a beautiful 184 and a half acre campus. We have qualified young men and women staff who are ready to train this generation. And we have a generation who are ready to go to the mission field, who are ready to be involved in causes. But we don't have sufficient facilities to be able to train them in this place. Our classrooms are at max capacity. We're using the same room for four different things. Uh, we really would love the opportunity to provide these students what they need to go out and make a difference in the world. I saw people come to know Jesus because I shared my story with them. Yeah, and that was because Wower Orlando gave me the tools to share with people about my faith and who Jesus is. When these young men and women come and realize God's real, He loves them, and not only that, He wants to use them to impact the nations, it changes everything. The time literally is right now. There's a generation walking out of the church because they don't have opportunity. So that's why I'm about discipling lives, that they might transform nations wherever they go. So we recognize we're just one small part 
part of the body of Christ and we're just continuing what God's doing in the lives of people that have come, that are being discipled in local congregations like this. And uh, those that I'm referring to that are leaving, those are the ones that go to university and then just they're, they're away from their home church and they, through the pr peer pressures around them, they move away from, from church. But we're committed to seeing people come to, from all over the world to be trained and carry the gospel to the nations. And we get we're just one small part of the body of Christ. But we're seeing lives discipled that they might transform nations. And we've seen a number of people come. And by the way, Sarah... Uh, your investment in Sarah Nichols has just been tremendous. She's involved in, in all these areas and, and, and inspiring people to come and training people, and we're just so grateful. So we are igniting a passion on young, young men and women, and we're seeing uh, youth teams come and culture, creating a culture of worship and discipleship training school. And when people come, that, that whole area of igniting a passion, many of them realize, I, I can do something for the Lord. You heard that in the video. But when they come and they get, they get inspired, then they've got to be equipped. And so we, we equip them in that 12 weeks of lecture, but then we take them overseas. And for example, this is a, we have a, a gal here from Australia that was a student of ours. One of my daughter, our daughter was one of the leaders there, and they were working in a remote place in India and working with a Hindu village. They had just been chased out of one Hindu village because they were Christians sharing their faith, and, they were, and the Hindus' leaders didn't want them there and chased them out of the village. So they go to another village and begin to share their gospel. And as they're sharing the gospel, they meet a young uh, Indian lady, a young uh, gal that had, had become a Christian, but her family wasn't Christian. Her family were devout Hindu. And so uh, she, was, they were, she was trying to share with her family but getting nowhere. So she invited our team into the house. And so the team comes in the house, and, and over some days they're sharing Christ with this Hindu family. And Hindus will often kind of take on uh, other religions and just kind of add it in. You know, uh, which you go, you know, we're a little baffled by that, but, you know, but they, they'll add it in. And it's, it's interesting uh, that as they're sharing with this Hindu family, they're, they're actually applying what they've learned in the classroom. Because one of our challenges as we're talking with young men and women is that we need to be wholeheartedly committed to the Lord. Second Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. God is calling you and I to live our lives wholeheartedly committed to the Lord. And even as, as believers, you know, we're, we're born again, we love Jesus, we're, we're walking with the Lord, but we can allow the, the pressures of life, other priorities to kind of the way we live our lives to to maybe become higher priority than they ought to be. And so we're challenging our students to, to be wholeheartedly committed to Jesus. So they're sharing that with this Hindu family. If you're going to receive the gospel, it needs to be one God and one God only. Jesus Christ, the, 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 the God of the universe, the triune God, needs to be your God. And all others need to fall away. So this Hindu family gives their hearts to, to Jesus. And the one daughter reaches up, and they had the red Hindu dots, you know, reaches up and, and wipes the Hindu dot off of her head, declaring, I will serve only Jesus. And I think, Lord, what that, that, thank you, Jesus. So you're, you're absolutely faithful. Now think about those students that shared the gospel and saw God minister and transform the lives of some Hindus. But think about the Hindus. We're now spending eternity with you and I because they gave their hearts to Jesus. God is on the move. 
The other thing that we're, we're doing is, is in this generation is sharing the, the, the need to have a priority and understanding that the Bible is trusted. The, the Bible is true. There, I, we're finding, I don't know if you're finding this, but we're finding in this current generation a real attack on the authority of Scripture. There's a tendency to drift and to go, well, we're not going to take, this part isn't true and that part's not true. And you start eliminating any part of it, we're in big trouble. Because that means none of it can be trusted. And we know in 2 Timothy, you know, Paul, Paul is getting ready to go share his faith with Julius Caesar. And he knows that when he does, he's probably going to lose his life. So he decides to write one last letter to his son in the faith. And he writes the epistle of 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he says that famous passage that we could probably all quote, All Scripture is inspired and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And, we, and he's writing that about, uh, he didn't have the New Testament that we have. That was largely, he was referring to, to the Old Testament. I'm not saying the New Testament is not inspired. We all would all agree to that, and this generation doesn't have as much trouble with the New Testament as they do with the Old. <laughs> but it's all. You have to, Genesis 1-1, all the way to the, to the end of the book of the Revelation is God's Word. And we, we, need to make, we need to be informed at the whole of the Word of God about the whole of the character of God. And so we're teaching that kind of thing in our schools, and, and, and have even recently just had a sense that we need to intensify our teaching around that area. So we send a team out, and they're working in the slums of India. And Brendan, the, the young man here sit, sitting off to the, to the right on the picture, is, uh, is there with the team, and they're working in the slums, and they, they, knock, on, they knock on some doors, and they, they visit this woman who's living in, a, in a, just a, a slum apartment. Just terrible. And they walk in there with a translator and the team, there's a few of our team members, and they begin to share with her. And as they share, and through the translator, they begin to hear what was going on, they realize they just interrupted her suicide. She was getting ready to kill herself when they knocked on the door. Coincidence or providence? <laughs> I would suggest providence. And so they share it with her about Jesus, and she, she doesn't commit herself to the Lord at that moment, but she, she's open, she's encouraged, she's, she's willing to have more conversations. So they, they pray for her, and they, they commit to come back again later. A couple days later, they come back, and they, they, they come back to share with her, and she confesses on their second trip that she's riddled with shame due to her life of prostitution. And she's so filled with shame, she just wants to end her life. And so the translator looks over to Brendan and says, Brendan, would you share with her how God has helped you overcome shame? And so Brendan tells the story of how Jesus set him free from shame. And while he's telling the story, he has a thought drop into his mind that he, he sensed was probably from the Lord. He had a sense that he was to tell her, this woman, about the, the, the parable, the story of the woman caught in adultery in the very act. But he has this, you know, you ever have these conversations with somebody and then you're having a conversation with the Lord at the same time? You're going, but Lord, I don't really fully know that story very well. I've never memorized it. And his sense was, trust me. So the woman is sitting on the floor and he sits down on the floor with her and she reaches out and grabs his hands. And he begins to tell the story 
of the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Our daughter is there, and she was, helps to lead one of our schools called the Word My Heart, where the graduates are able to stand up and dramatically tell 90 minutes of a gospel from, from memory, word for word, as if they were eyewitnesses. They, they're immersed in the culture and the storyline, and it just so transforms them. If you walked out of here, and God forbid this happened, but you walked out of here and, and there was an accident on the road out front, you wouldn't have to try to memorize the story. You could tell in great detail everything you just saw. So if we immerse people in the, 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 the context, the story, the history, what happens is that they get so uh, infused with that storyline, it's, it's almost like they're eyewitness accounts. They're not, but it's almost like it. So they stand up and just dramatically tell it. She was standing in the room while Brendan was sharing the story of the woman caught in adultery, and she said he shared it word for word. It was amazing how when you hide God's word in your heart, he can bring it back up when you need it. This woman was so impacted by the, the love of Jesus toward this shameful woman that was living a life of prostitution. It, it, that's how she would have interpreted it. And how Jesus, in the end of it, when, he, when, the, when everybody has dropped their stones and walked away, Jesus said, who's left to condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. He says, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. And she saw the acceptance of Jesus of the person while rejecting the sin. And so she repents on the spot and gives her heart to Jesus. Her life has changed for eternity because a few young people were willing to take a risk and share their faith. I'm so grateful. You know, you and I, we, we do have the privilege, you know, that you mentioned earlier standing up here that we, we can go get 15 different versions of the Bible. And we probably have 15 different versions in our house on our bookshelf. But that, that's not as critical as hiding it in our heart. <laughs> Filling our hearts with it. And I know, you know, that, that you are students of the word. I understand that. You, and you're faithful with your Sunday schools. And, and I think, praise God for that. We are working hard to end Bible poverty now. The Bible has got to be transmitted all across the world. And not just thrown out there, but have people ingested into their heart. We, you know, revivals don't last very long. They might last two or three years. But if you want a real awakening, revival needs to land on the pages of Scripture. <laughs> the Bible needs to go out ahead. There's a, there's a uh, theologian, an Indian theologian, his name is Vishal Mangawadi, and during my, my, some of my training, I st read his material, and he was talking, uh, the name of this one book is The Book, that made your world, and he's referring to the Bible. When the Bible gets out ahead of the preaching of the gospel or with the preaching of the gospel, it lays a foundation in the hearts of people that it really brings transformation. And so it's, it's absolutely critical. So, we wanna, so in our schools, in our churches, of course, we're trying to eradicate Bible poverty in our hearts right now, that we might be the people who sh to share the gospel. So we're working to disciple lives and transform na nations. And we're working with this discipleship training school and the, the school of ministry development, which we call our, our gap year, which I'll, I'll skip that. But then we're, we're launching a movement. One of the beautiful things about YWAM is that we have... Um, we got a lot of weaknesses because we're humans, you know, but, but one of the benefits is we work with all sorts of different churches and we have a global network, missions network. We have uh, uh, about 30,000 staff scattered around the world in about over 2,000 locations. And so it, the, the, the great thing about that is it's a network that we can plug into and go and meet with somebody so our short-term trips have long-term impact. And so we're working to help young adults solidify their faith and get hands-on ministry experience somewhere on the planet. 
so the, uh, basically, what we, our commitment is, is to, that we, we can uh, launch young people almost anywhere on the planet with great training within one year. Now, we get one year uh, for many people. If you're going to have a vocation of, of serving the Lord, you'll want to get some more training. But, but the average person, probably about 80% of the people that come through training, end up coming back to their home church and becoming salt and light in their, their communities, you know, whether it be business or medicine or education, and being a, a viable part of the, the local congregation that they came from, which is wonderful. It's wonderful. We get to partner. You know, as we're, we're launching people out into the mission field, this is Jess. She's out there sharing with Muslims. When you read the, uh, the, the headlines about Muslims, what do, you, what do you feel? Are we usually gripped with fear? <laughs> and I understandably so in many ways, but Jesus died for them too. And we're seeing the Lord transform lives. She was, she was praying for a, with, a, with a team, a young Muslim man, and as, they prayed, as she prayed for him, he, he, and they got done praying, his eyes popped out and he, he just ex- exclaimed, I, I saw him, I saw a man in white. And, you, you know, and, and I, I went to a place where I didn't feel any more pain. And, and, I, and it was total peace. And, you know, he was baffled at what he was, what he was seeing as she prayed. And, and she, she explained to him, Jesus was calling him. This was the Lord's calling him. To, to, and, and this is Jesus Christ. And this, this young Muslim man was open to hear the gospel because God is already at work in their lives in a very powerful way. And we're, we're seeing that over and over again. This one I shared with you before uh, a couple years ago, but we were working with, with the, um, the Syrian refugees that were, were being persecuted and killed by ISIS. And they flee and they come to a, a place like uh, Greece and they land on shore with, uh, with such gratitude. And as they come ashore, they're, they're open for a short period of time, but then all of a sudden they close back up. And so our, our young guys were trying to share the gospel with these Muslim men. They're interned. They're, they're put into a soccer stadium. It's a, you know, they, they, they lock them in there. And, then, and, and so our guys are sharing the gospel with them, but they're hard-hearted. They're not open. And so they prayed about, as you may remember, they prayed about how do we, how do we engage this group. And the Lord dropped a thought in their mind, go clean the bathrooms. The bathrooms were disgusting. Human waste all over the floors. Fortunately, it's before lunch, so you've got a little gap of time. But, but just, you know, the stench was appalling. And they rolled up their sleeves and went and cleaned the bathrooms thoroughly, which sure doesn't seem like a missions activity. But it was exactly what the Lord needed them to do because when they were done, the Muslim men said, you must really care about us. And they said, well, actually, we do. But the reason we do is the one who loves you most, the greatest servant of all, sent us here to serve you and to love you. Can we tell you about him? And they said yes. And so they share with him, with these 12 Muslim men, and they give their hearts to Jesus and get planted in a church. And as a result of that, they, they continue to minister to them. Four months later or so, another one of our team leaders goes back to the same uh, camp, the refugee camp, and to check in on these, these 12 refugees that came to Christ, and they discovered they had led 40 more to the Lord. And now there were 52 Muslim men serving the Lord in that church. And those 52 had just brought in 100 of their friends that were now seeking the Lord. Now here's a challenge. 
Missions is really taking on the heart of God for people. It's, a, it's really, if you think about it, the, we've, we've been adopted. There's a, there's a story, there, there's some passages in the New Testament where it said we've been a, adopted as sons. We've been adopted into the family of God. And God is doing a, a, a great work in our lives that way. But then he challenges you and I to adopt others. Our team did not cause the problem of ISIS. Our team did not cause the pain and suffering of the Syrian refugees, but they were willing to adopt them in this sense. They were willing to share the love of Jesus. They were willing to take responsibility and share the love of Jesus. And I think, God, you are so faithful. He's calling you and I to carry the gospel even to places where people are suffering and it, it, due to no fault of ours. But the Lord, what we're doing is expressing the love and compassion of Jesus to those around God is absolutely faithful. We're seeing him do extraordinary things, and I know you are too. And so basically the challenge, I think, for us is uh, are we wholeheartedly committed to the Lord? Are we living lives of wholehearted commitment? Are we wholly committed to the authority of Scripture? Is that really a part of our lives? Are we making it a daily diet? Are we, are, you know, ba basically I was thinking of there are a lot of leaders, there are a lot of Christians who start really well, but not as many end well. One of the best ways to make sure you're on, you and I are on fire all the days of our lives is we're having a steady diet of the Bible. A date we're daily eating the Word of God, so to speak. In other words, taking it in. And there's a lot of great ways to do that, of course. And you, you know, you, you're being taught that here. But then the, the, then the, the other is the commitment to his mission, carrying, carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. God has been absolutely faithful as we do that very thing. Um, I'm going to skip that. So we're, we, well, we have record numbers coming into us now, and we're growing and increasing our capacity uh, there on the campus. So we're, we're now uh, working on our 23 cottages coming up. The first six have arrived, and we're working to put those in. And then we're, we're, uh, one cottage will allow us to, over a 10-year period of time, uh, to have 240 additional students because we'll move staff in there. And the place where the staff were, I can actually put more students. So that's, that, that's exciting. And then we're working on a cafeteria multi-purpose building. But we're, we're just tremendously grateful for all that God is doing as we work to ignite a passion for the Lord and his mission. As we work to equip a generation to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we work to launch a movement. Uh, I do want to tell you one other story. The, the couple there in the middle, Patrick and Eleanor, they came into our discipleship training school, and was, she went through our early youth programs, and then they went off into um, leading an outreach, and we were in China. They, they were leading an outreach into China, and while they were in China, they found a people group that had never once heard the name of Jesus. They were praying, just felt that they were to go over this particular mountain. As they got over this mountain pass, they discovered a people that had never once heard the name of Jesus, much less had 15 Bibles. They were so excited to go and be the first ones to share Jesus with the people who had never heard. But what the Lord did in that time is he infected their hearts with, with a commitment for mission. They, you know, most of us, I, Darla and I came back in 1979, and I wasn't planning. To, I was just going to do the discipleship training school, and I was going to go back home and go into business world, which that's a noble profession, nothing wrong with business. But I was surprised that all these years later, I'm still doing missions. Many people come just like that. Patrick and Eleanor were like that. 
So they joined our staff team. They continued to, to work with us. They worked, then they, they went off and, and became a long-term plant in Turkey. And they were actually doing, involved in church planting in a city. I won't name the city for their own safety, but in a city that had no known Christians in the city. Darla and I did a pastoral care visit. We're standing, I remember, up on the top of their apartment building or, you know, overlooking the, the Muslim mosque right there and you're hearing the call to prayer. And they're effectively sharing their faith. But then they heard about this, this home for women in Iraq. Women that had been, who had escaped the torturous abuse of ISIS soldiers. And so they go to Iraq. They're near the, near the front lines. She's working in with the women that have been rescued. He's working with some of the military guys sharing the gospel. But these women were so distraught and abused. Many of them, uh, you know, escaped, the, you know, saw their families being murdered. They had been raped many times. And, and then they get out, they get into the refugee camp, and they're just numb. And so Eleanor was using art and music therapy to see them begin to be transformed. And these women would, would begin to be transformed and all of a sudden one of them would, would scream out and writhe on the floor just having flashbacks. And I think, where would Jesus be? You know, uh, they, Eleanor had to, to get some counseling when she got back just because of some of what she was experiencing. But she had a desire to see these women set free. Jesus, we're told in Scripture, he's the God of all comfort. And he'll often move through you and I to bring comfort. Because when he gives you and I comfort, then we give it away to others. Well, while uh, Patrick and Eleanor are there, they get a call to, to be long-termers, in, do missions in the Middle East. So Patrick goes and gets his master's degree in business in, in London so he can, can, can more fully and more effectively be a consultant in the Middle East and have a legitimate reason to be there while, you know, from the government's perspective while he shares the gospel. Eleanor is getting her degree in psychology, specifically in art and music therapy. All because a young person decided, I, wanna, I want to give a year to God and, and seek the Lord uh, in mission, be involved in mission, but as a result, they, they had vision imparted to their life from the Lord to have long-term impact in a place that most of us would fear to go to. And I think, Lord, what a privilege. You're, you are at such work. You know, we walk around. We're like little kids helping Daddy carry the big suitcase. So you can't take a lot of credit for that. In fact, a lot of times you're adding weight to the, you know, you, you ever have your kids try to help you, and they're, and they're kind of adding weight to the suitcase. Some, uh, I often feel like that. You know, Daddy's carrying the suitcase, and I'm, I, I'm helping. You know, but, but we're so grateful that we get to be a part of watching God transform lives. And I want to thank you for being a part. You know, being a part through building buildings, and, and, and a deck that, that gives us a place to train for supporting people like Sarah and seeing lives transformed. It, God sees that and I believe is grateful for your heart commitment to him and to his mission. I want to end with this, this uh, video clip just, just as a reminder. As we're, as we're watching this last video clip, I want us to just think about this whole idea of being wholeheartedly committed to the Lord. You know, one of the things growing, our kids growing up, we, Darla and I are far from perfect parents, but one of the things we, we never wanted our kids to, to behave a certain way because we were the leaders. 
You know, when, sometimes when you're the Christian leaders, it, even if you don't put pressure on your kids, other people put pressure on your kids. And I used to tell people, don't expect my kids to be perfect because they're the spiritual leader's kid. Kids are disobedient. Be surprised if I watch them be disobedient and do nothing about it. You know, you can rebuke me if you need to. <laughs> but, but don't be shocked that my kids are normal kids. But I never told my kids, you know what, you, you need to, you, you've got to do the right thing because I'm the spiritual leader here. You, I would say you need to do the right thing because it's true. It doesn't make any difference whether I'm a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a pastor, a missions leader, you know, the garbage collector. It doesn't make any a plumber. It doesn't matter what my job is. Truth is truth no matter what I'm doing. So you're, you are called to live truth no matter what. And so one of the greatest compliments I think God, people can give us is that we live what we live privately is the same as what people see us living publicly. We are wholehearted with the Lord, privately and publicly. Just ask the Lord about that. Is there anything he would want to speak to you or me about, about a greater commitment to a wholehearted lifestyle toward the Lord? The other question is, uh, where are we in terms of our Bible consumption? You know, this is, please don't receive it as condemning. And what, you know, what Pastor Thad, how much he reads the Bible may not be what, what God would ask you to read the Bible. You know, it's just, it's just what, what, what's the sense from you? What, what is the Lord saying to you about what you, what you and I can do to increase the, our, our diet of the Word of God? We should, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we want to have this steady diet of the Bible. What, what's, just what, what's the, the nudge of the Lord? Don't make it so high that it's not achievable. Just one small move forward movement. And then in mission, is there something that the, that the Lord would have you do that's, that's, that's engaging mission? I'm not, that's, I'm not asking for support. You know, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you and me personally going, how do I engage the community I live in in mission? Lord, is there something more I ought to be doing in that regard? So wholeheartedness, commitment to eating the word of God, taking in the word of God, and commitment to mission. So just as you watch this before we pray, just wanted you to have some time, just personal time to reflect with the Lord around these three topics. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters
all those pictures of all those different faces, you're just reminded that God is in the business of using common, ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things. If we're the kind of people that are, that are saying, I'm totally yours, Lord. I'm totally yield to you. Have, have, have your way. I'm filling my heart with your word, and I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything you ask me to do at any time you ask me to do it. Then God, that's an unstoppable army of people carrying the light of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Lord, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for being the, the God who can help us live out the commitment. We're, we're all in this room already having a desire to be wholehearted to you. This is not new. It's just We're just having our, our minds stirred up by way of remembrance. That, oh yes, we want to be reminded that we're, we're committed to live wholly for you. We are we're already committed to your word. That's why we're in the room. But you're stirring up our pure minds by way of remembrance, as Paul says, to, to really make sure that it's, it's a daily part of our diet. And of course, we're committed to mission. This church is phenomenally committed to mission. And we're, all, you know, we're all in this room because we're committed to mission, your mission, Lord. But again, it's just a stirring up of our hearts. Yes, we're committed to mission. Yes, we're, we're involved in supporting. But is there something you would, more you would have us do? We just want to be alert to you, Lord, as we go through our lives, that we might share your love and compassion and truth with those around us. So Lord, I thank you in faith for your leadership in our lives and trust you for your blessing and grace on each one of us and on this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, and praise the Lord for what he's doing through YWAM. Um, so encouraging. Um, you know, the just thinking through, and you guys can stand as we, um, as we sing this last song, as we close with this song. You know, the whole, the whole point of God creating this world of God sending his son to die for this world. The whole point of all of it is to glorify him, to bring him glory. And so as, as we go out and we make much of Jesus, we make much of his grace, so that at the end of times, all these people from every tribe, every tongue can come together and it will culminate around his throne of lifting up his name, saying, you, you are holy. You're almighty. You're powerful. You're gracious. You're good. So let's just lift our voices this morning as we lift those things to the Lord.
praise team we appreciate you leading us today and thank you Michael uh, for your challenge to us and there were two things I came away with one was um, the responsibility to accurately declare the Word of God and uh, that's very very important that resonates with me really high <laughs> 
Um, I, I, I believe we have the responsibility, as Paul was able to say, I declared the whole counsel of God. And so that's very important for us to keep in mind. And um, but then the second thing uh, was just the, wherever you are, uh, be a witness. And this last week, um, the Lord challenged me in that. We've been teaching on Sunday night spiritual gifts. And I don't have the gift of evangelism, but I have the responsibility to share the gospel. According to God's word, just because I don't have the gift, <laughs> I have the responsibility. This last week, I was um, up in Nashville. Uh, our middle son's getting married this coming Saturday. I look forward to that. Um, pray that I can make it through the service. I know Teresa won't, but I've got to do the service. So. But you can come back from Nashville a couple of different ways. And where their house is, um, you have to cross Interstate 24 to get over to 65. So I thought, well, I'll just go a different way. I mean, it was just right at the last moment. I was like, ah, I'm going 24. And then I'll put me a little south of Chattanooga, and I'll come 59, and I'll be right at my doorstep. And I'm one of those, when it comes to filling up the tank, I wake almost to the last minute. So I just kept, hey, easy. I didn't expect y'all growing on that. But anyway, so I'm, so I'm driving, I'm driving uh, toward home, and I get to uh, Fort Payne, and I get off. And I go into the gas station. And um, I went to the gas station to get a snack, and I came out with no snack. But um, I just couldn't decide. You ever gone through, and you're like, yeah, I don't want any of that. So anyway... Um, I'm in there, and there's the guy that's working uh, behind the counter, and then there's this other gentleman, and they're having a conversation. I couldn't see them, but I could hear them. And I couldn't see them because I'm really short. But um, they're having a conversation, and um, they're talking about all their woes and all the things in life that have gone wrong. And they, said, they just agree, yeah, we're, we're just atheists. One of them said, I'm an atheist. He said, I am too. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. I'm not. And um, so the guy that was buying whatever food, he walks out. And the other guy that's working there, he picks up a mop. Because it's late at night, and he's just mopping, and there's nobody coming in. And I'm like, man, Lord, there is no wider door than what you just presented. So I just went around the corner. I said, well, I overheard your conversation. And I said, um, so I hear you're an atheist. He said, oh, yeah, I'm an atheist. I just don't believe. I was like, well, I do. And I just started sharing with him. And I was like, it was, it was <laughs> because I don't have the gift of evangelism, I was just like, Lord, I'm just relying on your word. I'm relying on your spirit who indwells me. And I began to share, and for the next 20 minutes, we had conversation. And at the end of that time, he came up to me, and I was a distance away from him. He came up to me, and he shook my hand. He said, I really appreciate you stopping and sharing. And uh, I said, well, I'd like to pray for you. And uh, his name's Sean. And I said, Sean, I'm going to be back. I'm coming back. I said, uh, I want to come back through as the Lord gives me opportunity to do that and talk with him. But, but you pray for Sean. And you pray as the Lord op opens doors for you that you'll have the, um, just the faith to step through those doors. All right? So thank you, Michael. Appreciate that. Let's bow and uh, pray together. And before we do, I've got one... Yes, sir. Yeah, come on, George. And then I've got, no, come on. It, it is. It's hot. 
It's in the bulletin, but I, I wanted to make sure that you knew that we have uh, two new members, uh, Kathy and Katie Hightower, a mother and daughter. Wonderful people. They're LSU fans. So we're, <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, I don't know which way they pull. But I got a I got a funny feeling, but it doesn't matter. But anyway, you be sure uh, they're here. Raise your hands, Katie, and there they are. You be sure and, and welcome them. Uh, into the fellowship. Thank you. All right, we're thrilled to have Kathy and Katie uh, with us as a part of Grace. Wanted to make mention in your bulletin, there is an insert about a fundraiser. Uh, if you go to Moe's Southwest Grill, and that's today, if you go from 11 o'clock, which that's already gone past us, but 11 to 3 o'clock, uh, there's a fundraiser for the youth and their Colorado trip. They get 20% of the total receipts. You have to, there's instructions there on the bucket that you have to drop it in and such. So make sure you uh, read that insert. And if you're hungry, which you should be because it's almost 12 o'clock, uh, maybe the Lord will lead you over there to Southwest Grill and uh, to support our youth. And we just want to thank the Lord for all our youth and for the blessing of having such great youth leaders that teach them God's word. All right, well, why don't we bow and let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us that are in Christ to share the gospel. Uh, we never know when that opportunity is going to come, but you tell us you want us to be ready. And so I, I pray that each of us are with that mind that we would always be ready to give an account. And uh, I just thank you for the challenge today. I pray that we would consume your word uh, each day and that as we do, Lord, that we might not sin against you. And, uh, Lord, that we might um, have in mind each day your glory and your honor because all of it belongs to you. And I do pray for as well this morning for Bob and Judy. So thankful for them. And I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, just supply the funds necessary. We're so thankful for their diligent work, um, their labor for so many years. And to think about that this tribe, Lord, has now the possibility of, of your word being put in their hands. All 66 books. We're so thankful for that. And we just pray that you would provide. We, we trust you, Lord, to do that. And I just thank you so much for today. It was great to be uh, fellowshipping with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we give you all the glory in, in your name. Amen.